BSI presents The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Today's episode is our press conference. Hello and welcome to The Standard Show. My name is Matthew Childs and I am with Cindy Paragill. Hey Cindy, how are you? Well, as always, looking for a straight answer to a straight question. <laughs> nice, and so you should. And you, Matthew? Well, trying to avoid having to read between the lines. Of course. <laughs> now, the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. And this episode is our press conference, something we have done before, but it's taken us quite a long time to get around to doing so again. Yes, on our socials over the past few weeks, we have asked you to get in touch with your burning questions about standards, either about something related to your job or the industry you work in, or something about standards that you're just plain curious about. Thank you to everyone who got in touch and sent us questions to education at bsigroup.com. We haven't been able to get around to answering all of them this time, so we'll hold them off for a future press conference. We certainly will. Now, as this episode has been turned over to you, there's no my favourite standard or a standard desk of news this time, but both of these regular features will return soon. They will indeed. Now, here on The Standard Show, as well as receiving your questions about standards, we love your feedback too. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, particularly if you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Find and follow us on Twitter at Standard Show and on Instagram at The Standard Show. And check out the show notes for all of the ways to get in touch. Every year... BSI and its partners offer young engineers the chance to take part in the IEC Young Professionals Programme, all expenses paid. This high-profile professional development programme brings together the world's upcoming expert engineers, technicians and managers, and provides them with opportunities to represent BSI and the UK in shaping the future of international standardisation and conformity assessment in the field of electrotechnology. The next programme takes place in October and November 2022 in San Francisco in the United States. To find out more about the program and how to apply, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. Hi, Matthew and Cindy. My name is Emma and I'm from Chislehurst, which is in Kent, southern England, for all the global listeners out there. I really enjoy listening to the podcast and I particularly enjoy the My Favourite Standard feature because I love to hear the real life personal impact standards have had for the contributors. I also always look forward to the teaser trailers you create and share on LinkedIn. So please do keep them coming for the new year with all the dressing up and the baking competitions too. I know from listening to previous podcast episodes that standards wouldn't be possible without the standards makers and that BSI brings together experts in one room to decide what best practice looks like. I have always wanted to know what is the process behind becoming a standards maker? Say I decide I want to join a committee. I click the link and I send my details across to BSI. But what happens next? Thank you, Emma from Chislehurst in Kent. A great question and clearly a big fan there of my favourite standard, which is great too. And I'm glad you like the little introductory videos or teaser trailers, as you call them, that we do for some of the episodes. Now, the best way to see all of these is on our Instagram feed at The Standard Show. Now, Cindy, 
Emma also mentioned the food episode we did and the video of us having that little bake-off for vegan brownies, which I think I won. Uh, I do not think so, Matthew Charles. If you remember, you forgot to put the pecans on top. Not sure that's entirely relevant, really. Not relevant. It was in the recipe. (laughs) So moving on, Emma's question is all about the process of becoming a standards maker. For an answer from a BSI perspective, we spoke to Lockheen Humphreys, a standards committee manager who looks after committees in the areas of sustainability and manufacturing. Thank you very much, Emma, for that question, and I am happy to shed some light on it. Uh, I'm Lockheen Humphreys, a committee manager uh, with BSI, so I work with committees across the sustainability and manufacturing sectors. Um, So as uh, Emma, you said in the question, you've gone onto the BSI website, you've clicked through the link and you've filled out your details. When someone has filled out that form, you will have come to a section of the form that says, which standard or which committee are you interested in being involved in? Uh, And that's where you will have written your standard identifier, so BSEN12345 or whatever it is called, uh, or the committee name, so AB forward slash one and then the name. So when the application goes through to the uh, team at BSI, they will look at that section and they will send it on to the relevant committee manager. So that's when your application will come to somebody like me to review it. So in some cases, it might be that I had particularly been looking for or advertising for a new member for a committee. Uh, For example, in one of my groups, CII 5.9, and we look at chemicals for the treatment of drinking water, we knew that there was a a work item on the horizon uh, in the SEND, the European European Standards Organization, that was going to be on citric acid, and we didn't have a citric acid expert. So we were particularly looking for somebody to do that. In other cases, it might be um, that you've seen some work from BSI and you've decided to apply. Uh, And in that case, the application comes straight through to me, and I will start reviewing uh, your CV and your experience and your expertise that you've looked at. So if that's the case, I might uh, go ahead and share your application with the committee chair and we'll have a look at uh, what you've listed as um, your key standards that you want to be involved in uh, and also the organisation that you want to represent, be that yourself or uh, an industry body or an academic institution. Uh, And we may also share it with key uh, committee members that are already working in that space. they might be from a similar organization. They might be working on that um, those projects that you've said already. So uh, after that approvals process, and I, if I've consulted with everyone that I feel like I need to consult with, um, I will come back to you with uh, the decision to approve your application. So after approval uh, is the registration, so getting you involved in the committee. So all new members will receive an email from a team at BSI called the Standards Assist Team. Uh, and that will include everything you need to register for our various platforms, which is where you get access to committee documents. Uh, there's information about meetings and how to register for those. And also uh, the email include a written resources pack. So that's information to kind of get you started on learning about standards, learning some of the language, and it's a written pack. So you have it there to refer back to as much as you need. What I always say to new members after they receive all of this information and they're starting to have a read of it, is to really make an effort to get along to your first committee meeting. 
So depending on what committee you're joining, the committee might be meeting once a year, they might be meeting up to seven or eight times a year, depending on what the priorities are and how busy their work program is. But getting along to that first meeting can be a really, really good learning curve. So getting into the room with the other experts, whether it's a virtual meeting room or you're coming out to the BSI office at Chiswick, uh, gives you a chance to see who else is on the committee, what kind of backgrounds they come from, what they're working on, what's on our agenda, how big our work program is. Um, And as you kind of listen into the discussion and get a feel for it, you'll see who's working on national work, who might be representing the UK at European level, who might be representing the UK at the international level, and start to get a bit of an idea of where your expertise is going to be um, most valuable and also what you're most interested in contributing to. Um, And through that, you'll also kind of get to start formulating some questions. uh, And then after the meeting, you've got all of these people that you've just met, um, someone like me, the committee manager, the chair, the other members, and standards assist as well. Uh, to get answers to those questions. One last resource um, that's worth mentioning is the committee member training program, and that's for new members and existing members, but it's a free training program run by BSI, and they run sessions that are anywhere between uh, one hour up to full day courses on a range of things relating to standards work. So it could be something really practical, like how to draft a standard, Uh, It could be a session that kind of helps you contextualise some of the work, so uh, looking at UK standards and how they relate to law and regulation. Uh, And some sessions are about general skills, so things like um, tips and techniques for presenting or contributing to virtual meetings. So a really good resource and a wide range of training options to keep in mind there as well. Now, that's the BSI perspective, but we also thought it'd be good to hear about how other national standards bodies recruit standards makers. So I spoke to Julie Latovich from the French national standards body, AFNOR. Established in 1926, AFNOR has more than 2,500 member companies. Headquartered in Paris, it operates in 39 countries around the world. Now, for AFNOR, Julie is Digital Market Development Manager, working on standards in AI, blockchain and cybersecurity, and also on some interesting work on gender equality in standards, something we may look at in a future episode. Now, I should say that Julie used to work with us at BSI, so I started by asking her if she missed us. Yes, I did. So I actually miss BSI a lot. It's such a great company to work for. I discovered standardization with BSI because I started my career there with an international engagement internship. And I found it so interesting that I stayed and worked as a standard development manager for several years. I worked on many exciting projects and standards, and I really enjoyed being involved in the entire process of developing a standard, from its creation, its development within a committee, and its publication and promotion on the market. And I learned a lot about British markets, which can be very different from the French market. But... What I miss the most, it's my BSI colleagues for sure. People are really great, always supportive and welcoming. And guys, if you listen to me, hi, I miss you all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we miss you too. And it's great to have you on the podcast. So Julie, we... We heard earlier from Lackeen Humphreys, since she responded to Emma's question about the process that BSI uses to recruit standards makers. So I'm wondering, from Afnor's perspective, you know, what's the process used in France? 
It's quite the same process. Um, participating in standardizations means uh, taking part in standards committee meetings where voluntary standards are developed on a specific subject. So you discuss the issue, define what are the best practices, challenge the other stakeholders, and finally you establish a consensus with the help of AFNOR and agree on the best standard possible. I mean, we hope so. Making standards is the opportunity for organizations to define market rules, share their practices, make their business known to French partners, but also international partners if you work on European and international standards. So you have access to European and international work and negotiate with other countries on the technical content of tomorrow's standards. It's an opportunity as well to do some networking, promote your organization and develop your technology intelligence. So how we recruit uh, standards makers? Because making standards create business opportunities for organizations and acts as innovation accelerators, or just for a matter of safety, it is not so difficult to convince organizations to join the, stand the different standards committees. Most of the time, they contact us directly via our website. On AFNOR website, we put all the information about our different standards committees and we communicate on the new standards we are working on. It also works by word of mouth. For instance, organizations can hear from a committee stakeholder that we work on a new or a very strategic standard and they join the standards committee like that. At the end, we can say that uh, we are an economic partner for them. And our role is really to encourage and facilitate the dialogue between the stakeholders. Thank you to both Lockheed and Julie for their answers and to Emma for her question. A reminder that if you want to become a standards maker with BSI, we welcome applicants from all fields, backgrounds and career stages. Our goal is to have a balance of views around the standards making table. So if you want to make a difference and shape the world through standards, start your standards making journey now by visiting bsigroup.com forward slash get involved. Now, before we move on, Cindy, in her answer, Lockheed did mention BS12345 as an example standard identifier. Now, I looked this up and it actually does exist. It's a standard for diesel engines, cleanliness assessment of fuel injection equipment. Really? <laughs> Okay, then let's have our next question. And this is from Emily in Essex, England. Hi, Matthew and Cindy. I recently started working within standards development and the more work I do with standards, the more I've recognised the BSI kite mark. I've seen it on trains to door locks. I've also noticed organisations have certifications too. My question to you is, is there an example you have of how standards have affected your day-to-day -day life? Thanks, Emily. That's a great question. And for an answer, Cindy and I thought we should have a bash. We did. I suppose the first thing to say here is to try and imagine a world without standards. It'd be quite difficult, if not impossible, really. Life would be unsafe and nothing would fit together. That's right. So we thought we'd pick out some standards that you might encounter in a typical morning. So I'll start. So it is early morning and you might be lying there in bed, summoning up all of your strength to swing your legs and actually get out. But instead, you are contemplating the day by looking up at the light creeping around the curtain 
of your timbered window? Well, there's a standard for those. BS644 specifies the requirements for the design, construction and performance of fully finished and glazed factory assembled timber windows, a standard that is actually currently under review. Nice one. So my turn. Clothes. You're still lying there in bed and your eyes have moved from the window to your wardrobe and to considering what on earth you're going to wear. Well, there's a standard here too. EN 13402, a standard for the size designation of clothes. This European standard describes a flexible sizing system based on body dimensions and the related size labeling information for consumers by the use of a standard pictogram. Actually, talking about your wardrobe there, Cindy, ISO 7171, a standard for testing the stability of furniture. And again, another standard currently under review. Now, I can't start my day without a cup of tea. And as you know, Cindy, we have talked about this many times on the podcast before. Many, many times. Some say it's all we talk about on the podcast. Yeah. So, so here we have ISO 3720, a standard for defining what we mean by black tea. And ISO 3103, a standard for brewing tea. And for beverage balance, let's not forget coffee, Matthew. And my favorite of the coffee standard is ISO 18794. This standard sets out terms commonly used in sensory assessment of coffee by coffee tasters. Do you want to hear a top coffee fact? Go on. Now, Brazil produces the most coffee in the world. But who do you think is in second place? Um, Colombia? Yes, you'd think that, wouldn't you? But in fact, it's Vietnam. Oh, top fact there. Now, as we're drinking here, we need something to drink out of. So BS8654 comes in handy. That's the British standard that specifies performance requirements for ceramic tableware intended for domestic and hospitality use. So Emily, when you're drinking your morning tea or coffee, then your mug has probably been manufactured to BS8654. Now, it's not necessarily a good thing, but I'm guessing I'm not alone in picking up my phone during breakfast and ticking off a few things that need to be done that day. Maybe a bit of mobile banking, for instance. Well, here we are benefiting from ISO 12812, which defines the general framework of payment and banking services involving a mobile device. And as well as moving some money around, maybe a little bit of online shopping, but before hitting the buy now button, you might do a quick check for online customer reviews. Well, ISO 2488 is all about improving the collection, moderation and publication of online consumer reviews. So we've had breakfast, checked how little we have in our bank accounts, but then went ahead <laughs> and spent it anyway. So it might be time. Why not? <laughs> it might be time to leave the house and head to work. Now for me, if I was doing that, it'd be by bike. And there are a bunch of standards here. ISO 4210 on general safety requirements, ISO 5775 for tires, and ISO 6699 for handlebars, to name but three. But of course, you may not be heading to the office as much these days, but rather working from home or in other locations instead. And in doing so, you're pretty reliant on Wi-Fi. Security is a major issue for Wi-Fi, as many Wi-Fi hotspots are in public areas and open to the possibility of hackers gaining unwanted access to the devices of people using the hotspot. 
Wow. The standard IEEE 802.11i is used to facilitate secure end-to-end communication for wireless local area networks. So, Emily, there you have it. Just a small selection of standards that you might encounter at the start of your day, helping to make life easier, safer and better. And if you want to find out a bit more... Do you want to know more about the role and purpose of standards in the modern world? Then BSI's free online course, The Power of Standards, is for you. Through its three modules, you'll learn about what standards are, why organizations use them, how they are made, and how and why people get involved in standards making. The course is designed to last around 30 minutes, but you don't need to complete it all at once. You can stop at any point and restart again later when you're ready. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. Now, our next question is from Paul from Coventry. Actually, uh, before I read Paul's question, do you want to hear a top Coventry fact? (laughs) Go on. Well, it's back to bikes, actually. All modern bicycles are descended from John Kemp Starley's Rover Safety Cycle, invented in 1885 in Coventry. Stunned silence there from Cindy. So Paul writes, I hear you speak a lot on the podcast about the issue of consensus with regard to standards. And it got me thinking about how how hard this must be to achieve, especially for international standards. If there are thousands of people providing their expertise and experience to deciding what good is for whatever standard they're working on, that sounds like a pretty enormous challenge. So my question is this, what happens if there's an impasse and consensus just cannot be reached? What then? Well, Paul, that's a really interesting question, and, and, and thank you for it, because it really goes to the heart of, uh, of, of standards making. Uh, I'm Martin Cottam. I chair the ISO Technical Committee on Occupational Health and Safety Management. I've chaired that committee uh, since it was formed in 2018, but I've also had a 20-plus year involvement in the BSI Committee for Occupational Health and Safety and been involved in a number of other areas of standardization, uh, including asset management. Uh, And my working life has been as a quality director, so uh, standards have been a big part of of, of that as well. So to the question of consensus, uh, I think it's, it's worth saying that this situation usually arises in the context of a standards committee meeting where you may have several tens of people around the table. Of course, they are reviewing uh, the input, as you point out, of potentially thousands of people who are contributing through the public comment process or through the activity of, of national mirror committees, such as BSI committees. And discussions usually about uh, a specific proposal or comment that somebody has submitted seeking to change some specific wording or perhaps to adjust the structure of a document. And the basic answer to your question is that if there isn't consensus in the room in favor of the change, the proposal isn't accepted and the document remains unchanged. Now, that said, it's often the case that if a change is proposed to a document, there may be parts of the proposal which receive more support than others. And so, of course, through discussion, it may be that 
parts of the proposal are accepted and parts are not, or a modified proposal emerges for which there is consensus. Now, consensus is defined as the absence of sustained opposition. Um, and that really means that you found something that everyone can live with, um, a compromise solution, if, if you will. And of course, under the ISO code of conduct, all of us involved in standards development are required to work towards consensus and not hinder the development of standards by holding out for our own unique position. We need to respect each other and recognize that all views are valid and work to find that uh, compromise. Now, of course, the other thing is our standards documents go through numerous iterations before they're published. So at each iteration, we're looking more for improvement than for perfection. And so I think the phrase, can you live with it, is a key one in discussions which edge a group towards consensus. And where necessary, we break down the discussion and the debate into smaller and smaller elements to find the points of contention and then look for those uh, compromises. So that's really how consensus building um, operates in relation to, to, to standards development. So let me try to give you an example of that. And I'm going to go back to the original development of ISO 45001 for occupational health and safety management, um, which was quite a protracted development. It, it lasted from about 2013 through to the publication in 2018. Uh, and compared to the previous standard in the field, which was OSAS 18001, the stakeholder group which worked on 45001 was broader, and it was much stronger in the representation of uh, the interests of workers as stakeholders. So some of the things which hadn't been particularly strongly covered in OSAS 18001 were discussed in a different way by this broader stakeholder group in relation to the development of 45001. And those were things like um, a worker's right to withdraw themselves from a work situation, which places them in uh, imminent danger to their safety or their health. Things about uh, provision of PPE uh, at no cost to workers, training to be provided within work time. Those sorts of things had not been included in OSAS 18001. And there was a strong feeling uh, from a number of stakeholders that these kind of things should be included in ISO 45001. And those were the kind of areas where there was a lot of discussion because, if you like, there were potentially diametrically opposite views being expressed within the room. And the standard itself bears witness to the fact that compromises were made on some of those issues um, in relation to the provision of PPE and training to workers. You will find an informative note in the standard which says that those things, making PPE freely available and providing training within work hours, um, can be beneficial 
uh, and can uh, you know develop help develop a, 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 a good OHS culture. So they don't mandate it, but they encourage it. And and that was a you know that was a compromise around eventually where eventually consensus emerged that that was what everybody could live with as it were so you know i hope that sort of brings it to life for you you can see the evidence of consensus at times in the wording of the document as you read it our thanks to martin for a great answer to paul's question and if you want to find out more about iso 45001 and a related standard iso 45003 on psychological health and safety at work check out episodes in the podcast feed on those particular standards now our next question is related to Paul's in that it concerns the issue of standards committees. It's from Serbjit, a self-proclaimed long-term listener to the podcast who has got in touch with us from Pasadena in sunny Southern California. How I could do with a little bit of that right now. Oh, yes. So, Serbjit writes, I have a couple of questions. The first one is about the issue of the technical committee. This comes up a lot in the episodes, and I was wondering what precisely is a technical committee? And my second question is, what is the relationship between national standards bodies like BSI and their international counterparts such as ISO and IEC? How does the relationship work and is it the same for all national standards bodies? And to get some answers, I spoke to BSI's senior policy manager, Alice Kasassian-Brown. So, Alice, we've had this question from Serbjit from Pasadena in California about the issue of the technical committee. And he is wondering what precisely is a technical committee? A technical committee is essentially just a group of people who are all brought together to focus on standardisation in one field of activity. So one particular topic that's of interest to them. Now, the technical committee will be responsible for the development and maintenance of all the standards or other related standardization documents in their field of activity. Now, they might divide their work into subcommittees if they cover a particularly wide topic, and then they can also delegate specific work items out to working groups or panels. But ultimately, it's that technical committee that has the overall accountability for the standardization in their field. Now, a technical committee really needs to have a wide range of stakeholders involved. So you need the voices there from industry, from trade bodies. You need to hear the consumer voice in there. You might have academia. You might have government representation. So it depends very much on the field of activity, how many people will be involved and and what stakeholders they will represent. But the important thing is to make sure that all voices are heard as that's the way that we get the best possible results. And this term then, this term technical committee, is it used throughout the entire standards community? I'm thinking if it's, you know, whether it's a BSI committee or a SEN or SENLEC committee or an ISO, IEC, do we still use that term, technical committee? Yes, absolutely. It's a common term that's used across the international, the European and the national level. You'll hear other terms used as well connected with that. So as I said earlier, you might have subcommittee, working group, panel, but ultimately the technical committee is the overarching senior body uh, responsible for that field of activity. Now, Sergit's second question is about the relationship between national standards bodies like BSI and their international counterparts, such as ISO and IEC. How does the relationship work? Well, BSI as the national standards body 
is the UK member for ISO, IEC, and of course, let's not forget SEN and SENELEC at the European level, which are also incredibly important. So each of those bodies is what's called a member organization. They each have a central office for management of their work, but ultimately it is the members from each country who take the decisions of how to run those organizations and who also nominate their experts for the development of technical work, the standardization work, at the European and international levels. Now, in some countries like the UK, we have BSI that covers both electrotechnical and non-electrotechnical work. So we are the member for ISO, IEC, SEN and SENELEC. In some countries, they're actually separate bodies. So, for example, in Germany, they have DIN, which is the non-electrotechnical side. So they are members of ISO and of SEN. But then they have DKE, which is a separate body, and they are the National Committee for the IEC and Senelec. Are you a postgraduate studying at a UK university? Do you have a research idea or project that involves standards in some way? Well, if so, BSI Student Research Programme can help. The way it works is simple. We gain valuable information about an area of interest to our standards work, while you can benefit from mentorship to support your project and the chance to gain knowledge and exposure that may increase your future employability. To find out more about the program, including case studies of previously supported projects and how to apply, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. Hi, my name is Sarah and I'm based in Hertfordshire in the UK. I really enjoy listening to the Standard Show podcast and I love the new name, might I just add. It gives me a great opportunity to learn and stay updated with standards whilst on my daily dog walk. A recent favourite episode has been about BSI's Standards Awards winners. It's fantastic to hear the work being done within the standards community and this leads nicely onto my question I have for you this week. Can you give me an example of how a standard might be used within an organisation? How do they really use it? I suppose what I mean is, what's the process that takes place for actually implementing it in the organisation? Thank you, Sarah, for that great question, though I am now intrigued out of the name and breed of your dog. (laughs) Matthew, I think that counts as an extra listener, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Now, for an answer to Sarah's question, who better to ask than an organisation that won a BSI Standards Award in 2021 for using standards? In this case, ISO 22301, Security and Resilience. And that's the global investment company, Aberdeen. I spoke to Global Business Continuity Manager, Lisa Dixon, and Jennifer McKenzie, Global Resilience Manager at Aberdeen, about what they did. First Lisa, then Jennifer, and then Lisa again. So it started by um, conducting a gap analysis on each of our um, different ways of doing things. And we wanted to conduct that gap analysis to ensure that we were actually near the point of we would be able to obtain the certification. And it was about understanding what the what the business needed, what our... Um, requirements would be for us to actually meet the standard as well. And with that, we were then able to identify what specific locations we wanted to certify. So I think it was also really important that we had the buy-in from the senior leadership. They understood the importance of having the, the actual standard itself and making sure that 
you know, we could get client business from having that standard. And it was really important that it was bought into by top management because without that, I think we would have had a lot more issues trying to implement that in the long run. For us, it gives us a almost a foundation that we all, always go back to. Um, and it means that we can always build on that foundation. Um, no matter how much change that happens in our organisation, we have a foundation that we know works and is steadfast and can get us through anything. So having that foundation has been really important for us. So with regards to uh, the ISO 22301 standards, um, we have aligned that standard to every location that we have globally, which allows us to bring in other parts of the organisation as and when we want to um, have them certified. So originally we started off with three different locations, Edinburgh, London and Boston, but we've now just expanded that um, to Edinburgh, London, Philadelphia, Singapore and Luxembourg. So that allows our scope to kind of grow in that way. Um, as the organisation changes, as as Jen had said, we may be able to adapt and, and bring that in further. But I do know that we do have other parts of the organisation looking to um, become ISO certified as well and align to different standards. So we are working with them to f- provide our, our knowledge and experience and guidance along the way as they try to implement those changes. Cindy, I should say that to answer that question, Jennifer actually spoke to me, even though she was feeling pretty unwell, which is why they've softly spoken there. So really going beyond the call of duty for us. That's really kind of her. So, Cindy, what have have you learned today? Well, lots of things, but a couple that stood out for me. um, The way standards makers are recruited in the UK and in France is pretty similar. And that Vietnam produces more coffee than Colombia. See, see, I knew you liked those top facts. (laughs) I do, I do. (laughs) And how about you, Matthew? What have you learned? Well, that amazingly, BS12345 really does exist. And I suppose that uh, seeking improvement rather than perfection might just be the best how to live your best life advice that I've ever heard. Some wise words right there. (laughs) We should do this again. We should and we will. Well, that's the show. Our thanks to Emma, Emily, Paul, Serbjit and Sarah for their questions. And to Lockheed Humphreys, Judy Latovich, Martin Cottam, Alice Kassassian-Brown, Lisa Dixon and Jennifer McKenzie for providing their answers. And of course, to you for lending us your ears and wanting to discover more about standards. You have been listening to an episode of The Standard Show with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Subscribe to us now wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production.